thank our brother Stephen for the warm words of welcome. And uh, I can truly say it's a real joy and privilege and blessing to be with you here tonight. Uh, just to have this opportunity, I want to thank the session very much for the opportunity to come and to share with you what the Lord is doing through the work of fame or Friends of Africa missionary endeavor out there in the land of Kenya among the Wakamba tribe. And uh, I thought maybe I should just clarify because you're all sitting away at the back and uh, I just want to make sure that you all know this is not a Palestinian flag. <laughs> this, this is the Kenyan flag, okay? You see the wee shield and, and the spears on it. Because uh, I, I, I brought it to another church there and they were sort of panicking thinking it was putting out a Palestinian flag. <laughs> uh, so so it's, a, it's a Kenyan flag. It's a bit small, but I hope you can see it. Our brother mentioned the wee bookmarkers. We've just literally got those printed, so it would be really appreciative if you could all take one of those. It'll hopefully be in your Bible, and every time you see it, it'll just remind you to pray for the work. So if you could do that, uh, that would be great. And there's also a prayer card as well at the back. And the best place to put that is on a wee magnet in your fridge. And then I know you'll definitely see it because you'll be going to the fridge. And then you can remember to pray for the work as well. But before I bring a report, I would like you to turn uh, in God's word the most important thing of all, that we hear a word from the Lord. And it's all about him. It's not about us. It's all about him. I often think of that wonderful verse in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Uh, and that's something so important to remember, that we give God the glory, that he would increase and that we would decrease. And if that's what's in our hearts, then the Lord will honor that and he will bless uh, and prosper the work of our hands if it's done for him and for his glory. I'd like you to turn, please, in God's Word to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and there's a few verses we'd just like to read together before we begin, or go any further. I was really glad when I arrived that young brother got disconnected and everything just worked right away. It's, it's always a big relief. was preaching, as said there, we've, we've, we, we lived in Cookstown most of our lives, and that's where I collected my mom tonight, foundation members of Cookstown Free Church. But uh, my mom came from Ballygolly, and they have a farm there. And uh, they gave us some land and a, and a site, and we built a house there, so we transferred our communicant membership to Ochnacloy Free. So we were out on Saturday there preaching in the open air in the main street of Ochnacloy, and I love open air preaching. And that's what we're doing. And we're actually speaking from some of the verses from this chapter. And it was on my mind. And I just uh, want to share a couple of thoughts with you just now. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Begin with that verse. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Both mercy and grace are referred to in this uh, chapter, if you, if you, you'll see uh, a reference uh, to grace in verse 15. But then we come down to verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. It's not hid to them that are saved because they have been saved through the gospel. If you're saved tonight, you know the gospel. If you didn't know the gospel, you couldn't have been saved. But if it's hid, if we don't speak it out, if we don't go and tell others, then it's hid from them who are lost. Those who really need to hear. They need to hear the gospel. Then you come down to verse 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, or literally your slaves, for Jesus' sake. And then verse 7, 8 and 9 love to have read the whole chapter, but just for time, we're going to read these few verses. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. How true that is. We're all just weak vessels of clay. You are an eternal soul that resides in a very weak, fickle vessel of clay. And so am I. And one day, this weak vessel of clay 
will be buried in the ground and it'll just go back to dust again. But the real you, your eternal soul, will continue to live. If you're a believer, it'll never die. He that lives and believes in me will never die. Your soul is alive in Christ and it'll never die. That's a wonderful truth. And that's what's brought home to us here. See, God breathed into Adam's nostrils, and what happened? Adam became a living soul. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, and not of us. It's not about us. It's all about Him. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And then, I'd like you to come now to verse 13. And we read verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. And Paul says, we also believe, and therefore speak. What was it that he believed? What did he know for sure he knew for sure that Jesus Christ had come into the world, the Messiah, and he had lived a perfect life. He had died on the cross and shed his blood in the sinner's place, and he had rose again, and he was coming back again. Because he says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. If you really know these things, if you really believe them, you'll speak about them. If you really, really believe that Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, came into the world and lived a perfect life in our place and went to the cross and there took the punishment that we deserve, that we could live in him, and he's alive today and he's coming back. If you really, really believe that, you'll speak about it. You'll tell others. If that's real in your heart, and in your mind and your soul, you'll not be able to keep quiet. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. Now I want you to listen carefully. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of of God. It's all about him. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. For which cause we faint not. And those words, those opening words there of that first line of verse 16 is really what caught my heart and caught my mind and what the Lord put in my heart to share with you tonight. That's a statement. It's there in verse 16 as a statement. For which cause we faint not. But I want you to think about it tonight as a question. For which cause or what cause do you faint not? For which cause do we faint not? Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And so there's the question. Paul uses it as a statement, for which cause we faint not. And he's given the answer in the previous verse. The answer to that statement, which I'm asking to you as a question, is given in the previous verse. For what cause do we faint not? What is it we're living for? What is it as our chief purpose and our desire? What is fame mission all about? It's a word and deed ministry. What's its primary goal? What's its greatest objective? Is it that some Wakamba people would not die in their sins and end up in hell? Is it that people around Coleraine would not die in their sin and escape hell? Is that the primary purpose of preaching the gospel? Is that the greatest reason why we preach the gospel? For which cause we faint not. That's certainly one of the benefits of people getting saved. But that should not be the primary reason. That's just a humanistic thing. Nobody wants to go in the fire. 
Who would want to go into the flames of hell? Everybody would want to go to heaven and nobody would want to go to hell. The humanist would think like that. But they don't love the Lord. That wasn't, that wasn't Paul's primary purpose. That wasn't the cause for which he fainted not. There it is there in verse 15. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. It was so that these rebel, hostile sinners who live every day with their backs toward God, living in rebellion against Him, cursing His name, blaspheming His name, that they would be reconciled to God, that they would be saved and there would be peace between them and a holy God, that from that time on they would start giving thanks to God, praising God, living for God, living for His glory. That's the reason why we want to see souls saved. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The people would love you and serve you and assemble together to give praise and worship to the Lord of heaven because He is worthy and it's all about Him. That's our chief end, that we would live for the glory of God and enjoy Him and in worship Him in spirit and in truth. And yes, one of the benefits of being saved is they won't go to hell when they die. But if that's the only reason we're preaching, it's just humanism. Everything we do should be for the glory of God. And that's why Paul says, for which cause we faint not. That rebel sinners who are hostile to God. He describes them in Ephesians 2, spiritually dead, children of disobedience, children of wrath, having no hope and without God. That's how he describes them. But then, but then in Christ, then the, they're, they're, that middle wall of partitions broken down, now they're made one in Christ, now they're living for him, now they're brought into the, the body of Christ that he would have the preeminence and he would have the glory. And it's my prayer that that will always be our primary motivation in everything we do. I don't know if you have an open air in cold rain. If you have, get out into the open air and may that be your desire for going there. Your prayer is that people in cold rain would start living for the glory of God. They'll no longer live for themselves, no longer live in rebellion against God. That every day we take up our cross and die to self and remember it's all about him. That he would have the praise, that he would have the honor, and that he would have all the glory. And I really believe that then when our hearts is in that place, then God really honors that. He honors them who honor him. He won't give his glory to anybody else. And I trust even now God will just bless that word. That's, that's the word the Lord put in my heart for you tonight. That, open, that, that statement, for which cause we faint not, it's a question as well. For which cause do you faint not? Is it just the free Presbyterian cause? Is it a denomination that you're really fainting not? Or is it the central thing? Is it the glory of God? That people would know him, love him, and serve him, and that everybody here would love him more. Do you want to love him more? I see a few heads nodding. I see a few yeses. And I'm glad about that. Uh, I, hope that I hope maybe you're just shy. I hope you're really saying yes wholeheartedly inside. May God bless his word to your heart. I want to just come now and bring this report. You know, uh, we had the great joy, my wife, Alma, and my youngest daughter, Grace, we had the great joy of spending most of January out in Kenya. And uh, we were getting reports that you had some snow and uh, minus three or something. And uh, we were having 36 degrees in the shade, and uh, it was around 40 degrees out in the sun from about 12 o'clock through to 4 o'clock. And I got sunburned, and the, the skin's peeling off my arm here, if you've seen it under this shirt. Um, so uh, it was a real thrill, joy, uh, really revived my own heart and soul, just to renew fellowship with all the staff and children. We arrived at the gate of the center off the dirt road there. And every member of staff, over 30 of them, were all at the gate with all the wee orphan boys and girls. And they were standing with flowers and we were all hugging us as we arrived. Haven't seen them for so long. Just talking to them on the phone back and forward. And uh, just it was a real thrill. And uh, to be honest, it just felt home from home. Felt like I was never away. And uh, it was a busy time. 
Um, we were the, for the two and a half weeks we were there, um, I had opportunity to preach um, 16 times. So uh, that, uh, that kept us busy in the prison, in the schools, in the villages, home evangelism. And the greatest uh, joy was one day when we went, there was six of us went, six pastors, two by two by two, so three groups. And we went in different directions, walking out into the bush. And Pastor John and another pastor had the great joy of leading a lady in her 50s to the Lord Jesus in her home there, just outside Mano. And I just pray that that woman would go on with the Lord. But I'll take you through these slides and just uh, give you a wee overview of the work uh, and what the Lord's doing. And thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Please continue to uphold the work. It's the Lord's work. It's no man's. This is the current board. And uh, our brother David Garrett had been the chairman there for a number of years. And he's into his late 70s. And he'd been saying this last few years he wanted to step down. Uh, but we were just praying he would keep on going. And, uh, but he stepped down there just last year and... Uh, the board then they voted myself in as the chairman of the board and I thank uh, the Lord David has taken on the role of deputy chairman and uh, then our son Jordan has also joined the mission board a couple of years ago um, Gordon Martin who's a committee man in Hillsborough Free um, David goes to Lisburn Free actually so uh, I think you're well aware of Lisburn because that's uh, Mr Higginson is there and I'm sure you're missing him and it's, it's our prayer you'll get a minister here pray God will uh, unite your hearts around the man for this place. And then you have Jonathan Lockhart and Richard Lockhart as well on the board. So just wanted to you see the board. Then I think you all know hopefully where Kenya is. Um, it's on the east side of Africa. And uh, just to give you an idea of the size of Africa, Liberia is on the west coast. And uh, did you realize that Liberia is closer to Northern Ireland than Kenya? That's how wide Africa is. You're closer to Northern Ireland and Liberia than you are to Kenya. It's an absolutely monstrously big continent. And uh, when we lived out there, we realized why we say we all the time in Northern Ireland, because Northern Ireland is we. <laughs> what do we say we? I came back from Kenya and they said, do you want your wee cup of tea? Do you want a wee cup of tea? Do you want a wee receipt? So I thought they were saving uh, paper, giving wee receipts, but it was just a normal sized receipt. <laughs> Everything's we here. There's one game reserve, Savo East, and the whole of Northern Ireland fits inside that game reserve. So uh, it's definitely, Northern Ireland's not so big. And uh, sometimes we live here and we're blinkered and we think uh, the world revolves around it, but there's a lot going on out there in other parts of the world. Um, so that's, that's uh, the, the Red Star is where the mission center is. It's, if you come from Nairobi and drive for just over four hours towards Garissa, as if you were going for Somalia, That'll take you towards where the mission centers. You turn off the tarmac and then you travel the last part of the journey on some dirt roads there. And that'll take you to the center. That's an aerial view of the mission center. And on the left, you'll see the red roof. That's the red roof of Fame Reformed Bible College where Pastor Titus, he's the principal of that Bible college. And there, there are other uh, men there as well, Alex and Pastor John, both uh, teaching in the college men who know and love the Lord, and uh, we thank God for the work that they're doing. I'll maybe touch on that a little bit later on. In the distance is actually the village of Kithamula. It's mainly, mainly just a few shops, and they call them dukas. There will be a little bit of trading going on, and a few bits and pieces where you get salt, sugar, and pangas, and a few basic things. The people themselves live in the bush. They live out in the rural area, because they all grow their own vegetables, and they live out in the rural area. So there's electric has been brought through the village, but the people who live out in the bush, they don't have electric. Um, it's too remote and too rural to get them electric, but it has came through down that dirt road, and there's now electric at the center. And uh, you can see the dormitories. You can see that the bottom of the hill is the dining hall. The round tanks under to the right is where all the water runs. Thankfully, they all got filled up, and they were full to the brim when we were out with the rains that had happened just before Christmas. And you can see then in the middle there is the church, and at the far side is the coal baby unit. Um, and then up at the top of the hill, right in the middle of the picture, is the clinic, current clinic. It's really, as you come through the gate, it's more or less straight in front of you. Um, Fame Mission is a word and deed ministry. Word and deed. It's preaching the word, preaching the gospel, and it's also indeed in action, actually helping people. Not just walking past when you see some poverty, see some need. Actually reaching out and doing what you can to help people. And those two things go together. And it's something I'm always 
stressing to the team there and also to our own board that that's, I believe, what the Bible teaches, word and deed together. You demonstrate that you really love them by doing what you can to help, but you love them the most by bringing the gospel to them. But you're not just doing the deeds simply as bait on a hook. You do it because you really care. You do it because you really love them and because faith really works. Faith, saving faith really works. It's not a dead faith. And we thank God for the various aspects of the work that you can see summarized there, medical aid, humanitarian projects, and those vary from giving out famine relief to maybe building a little teeny single-room house for an old widow. Various things, various needs that come along. And then you've got the, the uh, child rescue from the baby unit right through to the older children as well. And then the evangelistic outreach, and we've got the evangelism team there who are going out around the homes every week. Uh, EMU, EMU stands for Evangelical Ministry Ukumbani, and that's basically helping to support the evangelical churches around the area. There's some uh, IPC, Independent Presbyterian Churches, there's Baptist Churches, AEPC, Evangelical Presbyterian, and we seek to support those churches with catechisms and various other things. We even will provide sometimes maize flour so they can make uji, porridge, for the Sunday school children. And when we did that during a time of famine, the number of children going to the Sunday schools connected with all those churches doubled from about six, 700 to twelve to 1,400 children coming because they were getting a wee bowl of porridge when they came. So that just gives you an overview. I'm not going to dwell on this slide too long. It's maybe all the better. You're sitting away at the back, so you can't see it too well. But these are just a few examples of wounds and babies being treated there. A wee child with a head wound was being treated in the clinics. This other man had a very serious wound on his foot and has been coming to get that treated and hopefully get it healed up. You can imagine in that heat and on the dirt and dusty roads trying to get that looked after. And then when I was out just there in January, um, this wee girl here some months ago, she had got her arm really badly burned with scorching hot tea and then it had, set, it had all um, basically healed up, but it, it, it left her arm, couldn't bend. So they took her to Kajabi Hospital in, outside Nairobi, and they skin grafted off her leg onto her arm. And then she was coming to our clinic there, the current clinic, to the doctor and the nurse there to get the, the dressings changed every day. And I, I know her father. He's a pastor called Samuel. And I met him there that morning and was just chatting with him and then seeing his wee daughter. And thankfully, the wound is healing well. So I trust that she'll be able to make a recovery and be able to get her arm to bend. Um, each morning, there's morning devotions at 8 o'clock, and that's always been the way right down from the very commencement of the mission, 26 years, 27 years ago, each weekday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, and we were uh, delighted just to be back and be able to have share those times there with all the staff each morning at 8 o'clock. Straight after the morning devotions then, at, uh, we, we, there'll be various duties discussed after devotions is over, and then uh, there's the vocational training there's about 70 young people come in, young men and young women who are getting dressmaking skills, carpentry. They go to the church, and then the pastor there, Pastor John, goes. They take turns, and they will do devotions and a time of Bible teaching, preaching the gospel, singing hymns with all those vocational students as well every morning at 9 o'clock before they start their work. Um, there's a group of the students there that was taken last August. And the lady here on the left, I don't know if you've met Sharn, Sharn Van Herbeten, um, Sharn possibly was here with the students. I'm sure you have the Whitfield College students here. And Sharn is just uh, finishing her second year doing the missionary training course in the Whitfield College of the Bible. She has another couple of months to go, and then she'll be, she'll be finished and uh, doing her exams. So she may have been here, possibly. Uh, I would ask you to pray for Sharn. The Lord has really put his hand upon her and called her into full-time service. And she shared that burden with us she had visited the mission center a few years back. She believes the Lord has called her to serve among the boys and girls out in Kenya. And she had been a teacher in a Christian school for many years in Canada. And uh, we advised then if this was the real true call of God in her life, that we would like her to do the missionary training course. So she sold her home, left her job, and moved to Northern Ireland to do the Whitfield missionary training course, which is no small thing to do. And uh, just pray for Sharn now as she, Lord willing, Sharn would go out um, onto the mission field there to work and labor among the boys and girls from the end of June. 
And uh, I'm sure you'll have heard of Philip Horton and the Serve team. Um, he has a team going out as well at the same time. They're going to help take her books and things and their luggage. There's eight or nine of them going out as well. And they're going out very focused to do and help with evangelism at the same time. So uh, just pray for, for them. The mission center there, obviously, is the clinic, but also the child rescue center. In Kenya, you have to be registered uh, as a child rescue center. So we're a CCI. It just stands for Charitable Children's Institution. And we thank God for getting that certification. It's valid, as you can see there. Maybe you can't see, but it's valid until December 2025. And you get that for a few years at a time. We're one of the very, very few children's homes in Kenya that got that certification renewed. Only a handful got it. The government are now trying to do away with that and forcing people now to go down the route more of fostering children, which doesn't work very well in the rural parts of Kenya where people have barely enough to feed themselves. But we thank God we got that certificate. Um, these are just a couple of photos I'm going to show you now, taken during our time there in January. So that's my wife. I was going to say that's my wife. That's my, wife. That's my mom. <laughs> my wife's not with me tonight. Uh, Alma's at home. But that's my wife there and my youngest daughter, Grace. Grace was three years old when we went to Kenya. And uh, it was a real joy. She grew up there and all her childhood memories are there. See, all around Ochnacloy, she has no clue where anywhere is. Don't know where anywhere is. Doesn't know how you get to Dungannon. See, when we dro drove back to Guni, oh, that's the road there to Kalulu. That's the road to Nui. That's the road to Garissa. She knows, she knows the way around, everywhere around there and all the dirt roads. But she hasn't a clue where to go in Ochnacloy. But it was a real joy for her just to be back as well and play with the children. She met up with quite a few young ones that she'd grown up with. Um, there was a lady from Ochnacloy who gave us all these gifts here for the boys and girls, so they were delighted to get them. And uh, here's more gifts that were brought. The man on the right, we, we do all our banking in Wingi with Equity Bank in Kenya. And the man on the right holding those toilet rolls, he's called Philip. He's the bank manager. And uh, I've known him the whole time I was in Kenya, and he's still the same bank manager there. And he brought all his staff. That's like Ulster Bank Lantern uh, with gifts. So they, they landed at the orphanage and brought a whole lot of gifts to encourage the staff and children. So that was, that was lovely. Um, the man on the left receiving them is called Stephen Cametti, a dear brother in the Lord. He's our board representative overseeing the work. Stephen, would you believe it? He, got, he studied and did a degree in the um, Greenmount Agricultural College in Northern Ireland. And he spent time at Lockery College. And if you know where I grew up, our home and fields border we could step over the, the hedge into Lockery College Fields, Desert Crate. And he was there when I was a wee boy, but we met in Kenya. See, it's amazing just how the Lord orders things. And uh, he's a man who loves the Lord, and he's overseeing the work there, and we thank God for him. I was talking to him, actually, um, yesterday evening. We had a great chat together, and he was just rejoicing in what the Lord's doing. So do pray for him. And obviously, people have brought gifts. We buy in stores. We buy in supplies. We buy in washing powder, we buy in salt, sugar, rice. But we try to grow as much as we can as well. So in the center, we have the Shamba. We call it a Shamba garden, a field. And this is Skumawiki. Skumawiki is like cabbage, um, but it's even more rich in iron than cabbage is. Uh, it's called Skumawiki. So that, that's great for the, for the children. We also have a cow. I, brought, I, I actually bought, when I was out there, a Frisian cow, which is very hard to get in that part of the world. And... Uh, then the local bull came, and this is, this is cow's the result of that. <laughs> this is a sort of a crossbreed, and uh, we're able to milk this cow. So there's a, the cow has a calf, and the calf is in that pen to the right, kept there overnight, away from the cow. And I was just saying earlier on there, then first thing in the morning, they milk the cow to get milk for the children, especially for the wee baby unit, primarily. And if there's any extra left over, others can have it. And uh, I don't know if any of you here have ever milked a cow. Put your hand up if you've hand milked a cow. Good job, there's one man anyway. He's younger than I was expecting. <laughs> so he's clearly getting the milk from her there, if you've ever, if you've ever done that job. He had that wee jug filled up quicker than you would think. And the, the trick the cow, they brought the calf out behind her, and then she, she knew the calf was there, and then she started letting the milk down. Then as soon as she let the milk down, they put the calf back and started milking her. <laughs> So it was a good way to get the milk. Now, whenever you, we have, we're currently caring for, providing for, helping um, 125 orphan boys and girls. 
Not all of them are in the centre. Some of them are in vocational boarding schools, some uh, training. Others uh, are getting supported as they transition back to maybe an aunt or an uncle and help with school fees as they transition back into that home environment. But there's 72 boys and girls who are 24-7 living at the, the centre. Now, if you've got a children's meeting here for an hour and a half on a Friday night, you know what it's like to look after 30 or 40. Uh, but you can imagine 72 all the time. Um, so it takes a lot of organising. And uh, do pray for the staff. They're up early every morning, up at half five, getting porridge ready for them for them to go off to school for half six. Gets light every morning, you see, all year round at six o'clock on the equator, and the children walk to school. But when we, you need order, you need just everybody needs to know what's happening, when it's happening, and that's how you keep things running well. And when the bell rings, children know, they know the older ones go here, the weird ones go over there, you get lined up, give thanks for the food, they wash their hands, then you go inside, the food's all ready, and uh, they all get their food, they all eat their food, they go back out, they wash their own cup. They wash their own dish, they wash their own cutlery, rinse it, set it to the side, and in about 20 minutes, everything's done. All is washed and sorted and no hassle. And uh, just sharing that with you because you might want to introduce that at home. <laughs> it works really well. Um, Organisation. Here's the wee boys and girls just out. Uh, this was like a Friday night meeting that we have with the boys and girls. I'll just let you hear them singing here. They like to sing, obviously, in their own language, Kikamba, but they're singing here in English. sing well. They can really sing so well. Bless your soul, to be honest with you. Really thoroughly enjoyed our time. Just out so refreshing um, and rejuvenating even for my own soul and for the work. Um, this is the cold baby unit. Now I just want to share a little bit with you there. And uh, you know what? There was little babies that were in that and had just grown up into little toddlers in three and four. And now they're grown up and running about and doing so well. And uh, they recognized us, actually. They were old enough to remember us, and we were there seeing them again and just seeing them doing so well. And it's just a thrill to our souls. This is Janice. And uh, Janice is the children's, uh, our social worker at the center, overseeing the paperwork where we have to have the children committed into our care through the children's office and just looking after them, giving them just updates and keeping an eye on them. And even if we want, if we get a request to rescue children, she goes and vets that first and brings a report back because there's, Believe it or not, there'll be ones just telling lies because they just think they can offload the responsibility of a child or two for it to be looked after in the centre. So we, we only want to rescue those who really need rescued, who really are orphans, who really are destitute. Janice was rescued herself. Her and her children, her siblings, were orphaned. And in 2006, Janice was rescued as a little girl into the centre. She grew up through the centre. Then she went and trained in Thika. She'll just tell you now about it. Uh, this video may just, I hope you can hear it. Hope you can well, I'm now here in the children's office with Janice. Janice is our social worker. And uh, it's good maybe, Janice, we tell the people a little bit of the background because God has been good in that you were rescued in 2006 yourself. Isn't that right? With your family. Yes. 2006. Yes. Came here to the centre. Mm -hmm. And uh, God made that provision. You've grown up in the centre. Mm -hmm. And then when Alma and I came to stay here in 2010, we got to know you. Yes. And we saw you grow up into a young woman. Yeah. 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 And then you graduated. You went actually to study social work in the university in yeah. Thika. Yes. And uh, which month was it in 2017 we went to see you graduating? 2015. Oh, it was 2015. It was 2015. Mm. I, I can't remember the month, but I remember the day. I remember that one. And uh, <laughs> you were looking smart, eh? Uh. And uh, now Janice has been working since then as our social worker, and she has a good heart for the children. Amen. So I want to just show you now this little boy in my arms. This was back a number of years ago. Must be about 10 years ago, roughly, maybe nine years ago. He's called Baraka. And the woman that I've got my arm around there, um, she was a prostitute uh, from Greece area, where she was working as a prostitute in Greece. And another prostitute 
had thrown that wee boy away because he was like interfering with her work. And that lady there, that woman, who's a prostitute as well, she uh, couldn't have any children and she took him and rescued him and took him back to Guni. And she was now caring for him like he was her wee son. And then she was, had contracted AIDS and she was dying from AIDS. And she, could, she was about to die herself. And uh, we got contacted by the district children's office. That man on my right is called Callow, district children's officer. And he asked us, could we rescue this wee boy? So I went to see the situation. That was the day I went to see the situation. There, there she is, dying from AIDS. And uh, she's trying to look after him. And there he is in my arms. I remember that well. And he was covered in mosquito bites. His skin was all wrinkly. It doesn't really do justice, that photo. Um, but he was not in a good way. And uh, you can imagine then we go back here just a few weeks ago now to the center. And there he is now. There's Baraka. And he saw me and he came running over and he recognized me. He says, hello, dad. And uh, to see him in the church on a Friday night and on the Sunday. And he was singing the hymns so well and looking so healthy and so good. And uh, he doesn't remember what he was like. I remember, I'm looking at him and I'm just remembering this wee boy who was about to die. And uh, we talk about rescue the perishing and it's good. We want to see souls saved, but isn't it good practically as well? And we're living in a country where they're murdering babies now in the womb. But I thank God we're able to rescue them and give them a home and a place where they're happy. That was, one of the, that was the old fish pond. I got them to paint it there when I was out with bitumen paint and got water pumped into it. And they had some fun splashing about because it's very rare to get into the water out there. There's very rare. There's no water in the riverbeds, you see. So that was a great day. It's fun. They really enjoyed that. And there he is there, uh, just to my right. This, uh, what's that? You're getting confused. You're left. You, do you <laughs> I, hope you, I hope you figured it out there. So uh, this, this is Janice just speaking about that there so just Janice now. Janice has just been making some notes, I think, from yesterday. Janice, there was a young family that come here talking to you, yeah? Yes. Um, but I was just saying to Janice, it was a, a real joy to meet Baraka. Do you remember the day? Tell, tell us about that day we first rescued him. Yeah, Baraka was rescued from a family around Ngune area, but originally was rescued from Garissa. Uh, by a mother who had no children and uh, her situation wasn't good. She was very emaciated. She, uh, Baraka looked very unwell and uh, through him Baraka has been very well. Now he's in grade four and doing very well in school. In fact Baraka is among the bright uh, is that right? Yeah. I mean, that's good to hear. I even could see him reading and singing mm -hmm. the hymns very nicely. Mm -hmm. And he was, how old was he when we we rescued him to the baby unit? He must have been like just a few months, six months maybe? Yeah, about six months. Mm. Mm -hmm. And now he's uh, grown up into a young boy. No, Baraka is nine years, nine, ten years. Aye. And looking really well. Really well. Aye. Even the teacher loved Baraka so much. Amen. Mm. Lovely. It's really blessed my soul, I have to say, just and see all their little boys and girls running about and playing who've grown up, who we remember being like this, little babies in the unit. Um, and what a difference it makes when we rescue a little child. There's a wee girl was sitting, singing there when they were singing about the Lord Jesus. She had glasses on at the front, but you may not have noticed her, but that's her there. That was the day she was rescued. And then the photo on the right is her just about eight weeks later. Uh, so just a way, with a bit of care, and love, and some good food. And what a difference. And by the way, see that woman you saw there who was dying from AIDS, that prostitute? We got her antivirals and we got her fresh fruit every Monday in the, in the market. And she today is healthy and strong and has recovered. And she comes to see wee Baraka and still keep in touch with him. So you'd have thought there was no hope for her, but God has been merciful to her. And we've, I've witnessed to her personally myself and telling her her need of salvation. Pray that God would... Uh, not only have mercy on her life physically, but save her soul. This is a young man who grew up in the centre. We've started a scholarship programme. Uh, we, we announced that at the praise service. I don't know if any of you were over at the praise service in Hillsborough Free Church uh, back in October, uh, but quite a number of thousands of pounds were given that night to help uh, get that scholarship programme going. So uh, since then, we've now been able to support quite a lot of the young orphan children who've gone out of the centre to go on and do maybe some third-level education. So we, we thank God for that and, and some the funds are being used for that. Here's some of the vocational students. 
And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen an iron like that. Probably have way back in the day in Ireland here. You just put hot charcoals, charcoal, burning charcoals inside it. And uh, that's how you do your ironing. And I tell you, you burn the hand of yourself with that thing. It's roasting. In fact, one of them girls nearly did. I think she did get burned that day. I was filling that. Um, but that's the iron. You don't need any electric. And then these sewing machines, you don't need electric for them either. Just, uh, just pedal them. Which is a handy job. So these, there's about 70. There's about 70 young people come every day, like I told you there, and they, get, they start off with morning devotions, and are, they hear the word of God every morning before they start their vocational. This school here, I was speaking, I was preaching here, uh, that's about half a mile away from the center. It's called Masavi Girls Secondary School. It's a boarding school. Uh, we built that school uh, from, from nothing. And uh, it's now, there's, there's almost 500 young women attend that school. And I was able to speak to them. And uh, Fame employ a chaplain, Pastor Jackson. He's the chaplain in that school. He's bringing the word at assembly and Sunday services. They have a Sunday service at half six in the morning on Sunday. So... This Sunday, when you think uh, you're getting up early, you just think they're, they're having service at half six at that boarding school. And uh, that's what, what, a, what a, an amazing potential there is there with almost 500 young women hearing the gospel and what God can do in their lives. And if they end up getting married, having children, and uh, what, a, what a transformation that can make. So there's, the potential is amazing. And we, were just having, we really enjoyed the opportunity to share with them. This was on our last day before we flew back home in Nairobi. There was two, there was two um, young women that uh, wanted to meet up with us, but then they messaged other people. They ended up, we met up with 13. There was six, seven, I think, came this day. There was more came, and there was another few had come to the center to see us. They were all young ones who had grown up with Grace and our children, and now they were young men and women. Some of them were working in Nairobi, and uh, they met us there at that restaurant, and I was able to get them their lunch, and we had some wonderful fellowship. And uh, this lady on the left is called Sheila. Can you please take the booklet? If you haven't got it, her testimony is in there. You can read it. From She was just a wee orphan girl with her sister. And she then grew up. She was, God blessed her. He saved her. But he also gave her a very intelligent brain. She did well at school. And she went on to study. We were able to, by God's help, provide for her to go to University of Nairobi. And she completed medical studies. She is now Dr. Sheila Mbinya Mashoka. And uh, what a joy it was to meet her that day because she just got a letter that week appointing her officially as a doctor to work in Makaweni Hospital, which is three hours drive from Nairobi towards Mombasa. She had been working as a casual. She hadn't got an official job. But the, the, the Kenyan government aren't employing doctors. They're, too, they're trying to save money. They're just giving them casual work. And she thought, when I ever get employed as a doctor... And on the 17th of December, I'm a tattoo. I'm a tattoo is like a wee minibus. And there was 20 people in it near Makaweni, crashed and rolled down the road. And it was a major incident. And they brought them to casualty. She was there helping as a doctor. The governor of Makaweni came. He witnessed the whole thing. And he was talking to her and thought she was doing a good job. And then found out she wasn't employed as a doctor. And he said, I will, I will see that you get a job as a doctor. She thought, oh, that's just a, a politician saying something to sound good. Well, two weeks later, she got the letter, and she was the top of the list to be appointed as a doctor. So praise the Lord for that. She loves the Lord, and she wants to, uh, she wants to really work and serve there and be used of the Lord in that. By the way, 20 people were in that Matatu. 14 of them died in that crash. And then the others, many of them had multiple fractures, broken bones, injuries that were being treated. But she said there was one man... They kept him in for 24 hours just to observe him. He walked out the next day, not a mark, not a mark, not a cut, not a broken bone. 14 died, the others all smashed up, and he walks out, and he was talking to Sheila, and she was talking to him. And he says, that's me, take no more drugs, no more drinking. God has uh, been merciful to me for a reason. And uh, she was just saying we should pray for that man. Amazing that he could survive that. Just thought I'd show you a couple of the homes, what it's like if you were living. I don't know what home you're going to the night, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't look like that one. And uh, those wee children sitting outside there, I remember taking that photo that day. That was just a, t a home in the bush area. There's where you're getting the water. Go to the dry riverbed, dig into 
a shallow well. That's the, the one there on the left, the bottom on the right. If it's a rainy season, you get these um, earth dams, and he's going there, and he's filling up his, his jerry cans with a calabash, which is a gourd cut in half. And the goats are, if you notice, the goats are drinking away at the same water. And uh, you wouldn't want to be drinking that water, I can assure you. That's a normal scene. In the background there is a fence, and Fame Mission Center is just over that fence. So that's just a normal, everyday scene where the ladies going to the well to get water. But over in Cayo, now I want to talk to you about Cayo, a new outreach area. And we were able to drill this borehole in Cayo. You can imagine people were walking for miles to get water. You imagine that now. And you don't go every day because you haven't the time. It's walking for hours. Get the water, walk for hours back. You'll go every third day or something like that. You'll make it them four jerry cans last to drink, to wash, to clean for two or three days before you have to go back. You'll get your donkeys to drink the water when you're there. So we were able to drill this borehole down 150 meters, about 450 feet. think the people were happy <laughs> to see that clean drinking water gushing up 450 feet. We have now got that borehole on that. There's a big, there's solar panels and the solar panels, obviously plenty of sun, are running the pump and it's pumping the water to a wee kiosk and the people can come to Cayo Village and for just about half a penny for a jerry can uh, get clean water. And you want, there's one wee woman, a wee woman, and she was, she was happy. Uh, it was just great to see it. And uh, we thank God we're able to help. This is the Cayo area. Last, this time last year, for four months, there was drought. The, the rains had failed. There was no harvest. People were really starving. And we say, I'm starving. I'm sure you maybe said it there in the last few days. Come home to see, is the dinner ready? I'm starving. And you weren't starving at all. No, you weren't starving at all. You were feeling hungry. You were feeling hungry. That's what you were. You know, you'd ate probably that day. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever gone for several days without any food and no possibility of food and haven't got a clue where it's going to come from. But that's not, that's quite normal for a lot of these people living in the bush. So it's a whole different world. And the ones that work now with me, they, they don't say you're starving to ram <laughs> You'll hear a whole sermon. So we're, we're not starving. But the, we had the famine relief program. We thank God. God's people gave generously. There was one particular group of Christian people gave uh, very generously and enabled us to give out about £60,000 worth of maize and beans to the people there. And uh, when they came for their, the, on the particular days that we were giving out the food, we always had an open air. It was always a, a gospel opportunity. And on one occasion, there's the, the maize and there was beans in these bags and the people had little cards and they would all get a certain amount depending on how many children they have and take that away. Um, they all walked for miles around. One day there was almost 2,000 people had walked to come to get maize and beans during that time of famine. But you know what? There were quite a number of people who professed faith in the Lord Jesus during that time. And after the famine was over, we called for those who'd got saved to come. Not for any food, physical food. Come, because we want to now start a program of discipleship. And there was over 200 people walked to the center who had all said they'd profess faith in the Lord Jesus during that time of outreach, getting tracks and hearing the word. There's now a new little church has been planted. Titus, the principal of IPC, has planted a church there. Actually, there's a man, a young man who got saved, is in the Bible college at Kithamula now, training for the ministry. And uh, the people are coming there to that wee church. It's a very tiny wee building. Some of them have to sit outside onto the tree to hear the word because they don't all fit inside. But what a blessing that God is saving souls. That's, the, that's the, the new clinic that was built at Cayo. It was a real joy for Alma and I, my wife and I, and my daughter to go there and see that. And it's really been well done, actually. I was really, really pleased with how well they did it. These are patients here that were sitting outside. I say, Nata. Nata is how you greet somebody in Kakamba. And they say, Nesa. That's like me saying, how are you doing? You say, I'm doing right. I'm doing well. So I says to them, Nata. And they all go, Nesa. And I says, well, what are you doing here? <laughs> if you're all doing all right, why are you at the clinic? Uh, but... Uh, it was only a joke, you know, but there you go. Uh, this is in the lab and uh, just uh, the pharmacy as well, really well laid out, very clean and tidy. And uh, I have to say an absolute blessing and a godsend for the people in that area where they had no medical facilities for many, many miles around. Now it's there. It's a gospel witness. Um, they're giving out tracts. 
the lab man and the nurse both know and love the Lord. And we had wonderful times of devotion and fellowship with them. And uh, they're, they, they don't work normal hours. You can nearly come to that clinic any time and they'll take care of them. They, they really, and they'll go out into the bush and help an old person who can't come. So we thank God for them. If you want to do a bit of plowing, there you go. I always uh, remember when I was in Kenya seeing the yoke, the wooden yoke, and even seeing them making them, and where the Lord says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And it always reminded me when you see the bulls running around the field, going wherever they like with no yoke, just done whatever they like. They were in control of themselves. When the yoke was on, the master was in control, and they didn't go where they like anymore. They went where the master led them. And uh, the Lord Jesus says to you and me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me and go where he leads us, not where we want to go. And that's just a simple lesson that you get real clear when you see two bulls with a yoke on. There's a woman just breaking some stones, children with a wee buckets bringing them to their mum. I thought I'd share with you a few cultural differences. Um, remember Paul was saying to Titus, the Cretans were always liars, uh, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. They, were, they weren't brought up in the same environment as the Jews. They weren't brought up to respect God's law. They weren't brought up to, to keep time and do what you say and honor your word and be straight. That wasn't the moral environment. They were, they were pagans. Just brought up in a whole different thing. And when you go out to the mission field, you have to realize that. People out in that remote pagan, they're just going after pagan gods. When we go to Cairo, they'll say, what a witness to people. There's a wee mountain. We have our God over there. We are offering goats, sacrificing goats on an altar to our God over there. That's what they think. Those are the type of people that are getting saved and hearing the gospel. And God's changing their lives. But their culture is, they could just tell lies like drinking water. Look you in the eye and tell you something as if it was true. It was totally lies. And I can tell you, that was a shock to me. I, I didn't grow up in an environment like that. You have to get used to really being careful about what you're hearing. Coming on time is a nightmare. Corporal punishment. This is a shock for some of you here. For children and wives. So if you love your wife, you'll beat her. Just like if you love your children. One woman was going with the, to the well with the donkeys and said to the other women, my husband doesn't beat me. And they said, that's shocking. He mustn't love you. So she got him to the mother and father-in-law. And the father-in-law listened to the whole thing and he went over and cut a wee stick out of the hedge and put it in his son-in-law's hand and said, don't be shaming my daughter, beat her when she needs to be beaten. <laughs> Tell you this, sir. Hey, that's got a reaction now. Eh? Bet you're going home queer and happy now. But uh, again, that's, uh, that's not something that's happening as much, obviously, again, as people are, those who come to know the Lord in Christian homes. I remember preaching on that. And you give me a verse of scripture that says that's wrong. Now, I was thinking, the only thing I could think of is the husbands are love their wives as, they, as their own bodies. So, if you're one flesh, so I said, well, if you're ready to beat yourself, then beat your wife. And if you're one flesh, she could beat you too. So, uh, the, women and the, the women asked me to preach on that one again. They thought that was real good. <laughs> they wanted to hear that message another time. They're not interested in designer clothes. You needn't, there's no advertisements, there's no TVs, there's no electric, so you could waste your time with all the designer stuff. It's not going to be bought out there. Being fat is desirable. So the ladies in Kenya want to be fat. That's a status symbol. I have plenty of food and I can eat a lot. So boys, you're looking big and fat. They're going, that's great. So uh, I'll not say any more about that one. <laughs> we're, we're not living in that same culture. But it's just so different. It's just so different. There was one woman in the center and she, her desire was to be the biggest, fattest mama in the village. And that's just it. Now, pay on a diary for your wife's another one. So many cows, so many goats, so many shillings. That's, and then you paid it off over a period of years. That was another big cultural difference. This is the door-to-door -door home evangelist. This, this wee bit of video was just taken a few weeks ago when I was out there. Remember I was telling you we went two by two? That's where, in Manu. Making our way through this little pathway leading from that earth dam. And uh, we really don't know where we are, but... We know that there are people using this path so it will lead to a home and uh, we're praying God will give us opportunity to share with them. Evangelism in, in rural Kenya is nothing like here. You don't drive around and stop and knock a door. You walk and you could walk for a quarter of a mile, half a mile and then you'll come to a wee rural home. We came to this woman. She was sitting out under a tree working, trying to light a wee fire and was working in her shamba in the bush here just doing a bit of weeding. 
And I went over to chat with her, and it turned out this wee woman had only come to the manure area five years before, and she loved the Lord. And uh, it was a real joy, actually, to share with her. She has a gospel track in her hand, but this Philip there, he was my translator. And I'll just let you hear Yeah? Okay. <laughs> this is Anna Mona. Mona. Yeah. Anna has just lived in the manure area for five years. But she's told Philip that she started going to Kinesa to church 1968 or two, sorry, 1962. But she was just going there. But it was not until 2001 that she came under conviction of the Holy Spirit and trusted the Lord Jesus as her Savior. And she has assurance of eternal life. Amen. 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 So honestly, just refresh your soul to meet that old lady there. Just so thrilled when as he was talking to her, she just, the Lord Jesus is so wonderful. I trust him. I talk to him every day. And uh, it was just a joy to meet her and an encouragement actually to meet her. And then we went to this home, that wee girl on the right in the green, she's called Anna as well. And that's her sister and her mum with another sister on her knee, a wee baby. There's several in that home. Some of them were at school. When I was in Kenya before, that wee girl Anna was at the school, Mano School, and she'd heard me speak at the school. She recognized us. But I remember that day there, we read Isaiah 53. I said, Philip's going to read this chapter. And when he reads it, I want to ask you two questions when he reads it. Who's it talking about? And what is happening? What's it describing? And when he read it to them, they said it's talking about Yesu, Jesus. I said, that's right. And what's happening? He's dying on the cross. I says, that's right as well. But did you realize that was written 700 years before he was born? And yet it's describing it so clearly like it's just like you're standing there. And we had just a wonderful opportunity. They were so interested in that. See, God's word is real. He's the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Calvary was no accident. He came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And what a joy just to sit down. They're so happy. There she is. That's their kitchen. I said to you, I don't know what home you're going home to. I don't know what kitchen you're going home to. And maybe some of you have said, that old kitchen, I need a new kitchen. If that was your kitchen, then maybe you really would need a new kitchen. And this wee girl here is such a lovely, friendly, cheery wee girl. So Anna, here. you know some English? Yes. Good for you. From school? Yes. Okay. And Anna, you're saying you remember me when I was here before preaching yes. in the school? Yes. Amen. And uh, we've come today to talk to you also from God's Word. Yeah. Is that okay? Yes. Good. I'd like to do that. And what are you doing now? You're, you're boiling milk? Very good. Is it nice? <laughs> is that is it milk from the goats? No. No, from a from the cow. Yes. Okay. Very good. I see. It's it's not boiling just yet. Not yet. <laughs> good for down, you. When I said that, she got down her hands and he started blowing the fire to get it to get the fire going better to get it boiled. This wee woman here was called Naomi in English, and I want to just share this briefly with you. She's dead now. She's gone to be with the Lord. She was buried a few months ago. I know her daughter. I met her daughter when I was there. I was talking to her. I was talking to her pastor, Elijah. Elijah buried her. And uh, when I say Pastor Elijah buried her, he dug the grave, did the funeral, and he was the one who shoveled the topsoil back in again. Pastors are hands-on in Kenya. And uh, that wee woman there loved the Lord. She was blind. Even there, she was blind. She was living in a wee granary, sleeping up in a wee granary, you think on stilts that you keep the food in. She didn't have a house or a bed properly. She loved the Lord. She was never complaining when she came to the clinic. She was just rejoicing in the Lord. She wasn't complaining. She broke her hips, hurt her hips. She got them sorted out. She couldn't go to church anymore, Kinesa. And uh, we made her a wee house some years ago, single room, one window, one door, tin roof. The joiners, the carpentry students made that wee bed. We got her a mattress and a pillow. That was the first time she'd slept on a bed and a mattress in her life. And she was just thanking God for that. But just a few months ago, she died. You know what happened? She rang the pastor and she said, I would like you to come. I believe I'm going to be going home soon. I'd like you to come and sing with me and read the Bible. So the whole congregation came to her house and they sang with her. She told them there that day what passages of scripture she would like them to read. And they read those passages of scripture and they prayed with her. And she said, it's okay now. 
I'll be going home now soon. And they all went home. Pastor Elijah told me he had hardly reached his home when the daughter rang to say Naomi had passed away. She had gone to be with the Lord. I thought that was absolutely wonderful and amazing. The Lord just gave her that awareness that he was about to take her into his presence. And the daughter, I met the daughter and she told me exactly that same story. And she was just smiling. My mom has gone to be with the Lord. And she loved him. Would you, would you, would you be able to say that to your family? Would they have that peace and joy and assurance just to know that you really love the Lord and you're ready and looking forward to go to be with him? But that wee woman, Naomi, there's a witch doctor got saved too. I remember the Lord uh, working in her heart and saved them. The people there are full of fear of curses. But we thank God there's the Bible college. Um, those are Bible students there all on their graduation day. Or Pastor, Minister Philip Berry, some of you know Philip Berry. He was assistant in Maharfell for some years. He's actually now the minister in Lisbon Congregational. And Philip knew Pastor Titus when they went through the Whitfield College together. Titus is our principal. And he went out there in October last and uh, he was able to take part in that graduation service. There was nine Bible students who had completed the three-year theological course and they are now out in those rural bush areas preaching and teaching the Word of God. And we just thank God for what he's doing. This is a wee room that was converted into a library. So just let you see that. Bible College and in particular in the library. I'm, I'm really pleased to see uh, Titus and to see that he has the books very well arranged in this little library although he's running short of space. Actually one of our desires is to build a standalone library just near the college there and get it all shelved out in tables where they can go in and sit down and study properly in the library and also in Cairo we want to run a medical camp in the summer when the serve team's out and that will bring thousands of people that will be a free medical treatment day for two days in a row and that will be a great evangelistic outreach day as well. I want to get someone who can test people's eyes because again there will be a lot of people there in the bush. I need glasses to read now. There will be a lot of people there struggling with that. And I just want to say to you, um, if you wear glasses, maybe you've got a new prescription and you've got old glasses that you don't use anymore and they're just sitting about the house. If we could get those glasses, the serve team would take them out and they would be a real blessing to some person living in that rural area of Kenya. So that's something you could think about. And I'm sure maybe some of you have glasses that you don't need, never using them. Well, I can tell you they'll be made use of in rural Kenya. So do please think, think about that. And if you can let me know, maybe Stephen, if people bring them, we could get organized to get them. That would be great. This is uh, in the Bible college as well. That's Titus, the, the, the principal. He's currently translating the word of God from the original Kamba language uh, from the Greek into the Campbell language. Titus um, is very highly educated. He's done um, a further degree in theology in Singapore. He's actually got a master's in theology. He speaks six languages, two of which are Hebrew and Greek. He's taught Hebrew and Greek for a number of years. He's currently translating the Bible into the Campbell language. He has completed the Gospel of John. We're doing this in partnership with the Trinitarian Bible Society. and They have the Gospel of John already, typeset, proofread, I believe it's been printed. If it's not, it's on the printing press soon to go. And Titus has already continued on, and he's now at chapter 23 of Matthew as well. So that's a wonderful thing to be able to give the Wakamba people a good, faithful, accurate translation in their own language. There's 5 million uh, people in the Wakamba tribe. So there's 1.7 million in Northern Ireland. So just to give you an idea of the numbers. That's the children that get in porridge at Sunday school. That's the prison ministry. We were able to get into the prison again when we were out. Philip was out there and he was able to preach in the prison as well. That's Whiter Prison. We were able to put up that shelter so they have somewhere to sit when you're preaching. Actually got the prisoners to build it because there was joiners and carpentry and masons among them. And uh, we provided the materials and a, a foreman and got it done. That's Embu Prison. 1,300 prisoners in that prison. And... Uh, Quite a number of them had the death sentence, 350 I think it was that time, had the death sentence. There's 500 women in a separate prison just down the road. If the women have babies in prison, the baby stays in prison with them. They're incarcerated with the mother. And so there's quite a few wee babies as well in the prison, uh, which is very sad. Those men that you see standing with me, after we had preached the gospel, um, some days later, those men had professed faith in the Lord Jesus. 
and we were back several months later. That was me back several months later. They'd been meeting every day to read and pray together. And the chaplain says, God has changed those men. They're not cursing and swearing. Their lives are different. And we thank God for that. We really are warning against this easy believism social gospel. We thank the Lord for what he's doing. And look, I just want to finish off by saying that I thank you, really thank you from my heart for the opportunity to be here tonight to tell you something of what the Lord's doing. As I said to you, it's all about him. It's all for his glory. That these people would live for him, rejoicing in him, praising him. That you would do the same. And I would ask you just to please pray for the work and continue even to support it as you can. And I'll hand now back to your brother Stephen. Thank you.